It's Monday morning, and you know what that means. No, not the start of another dreary work week. It's time for Building a Better Cheyenne. So grab your hard hat, grab your hammer, or maybe just a cup of coffee, and let's get building. Gentlemen, Hugh and Ken, how are you doing this week, Ken? And Dan, it's been a week. I traveled to Laramie ahead of the record-breaking blizzard. Circumstances led me to be hotel hopping in Laramie until I-80 reopened. And um, so much of my frustration was just like, why is I-80 designed the way it is? <laughs> I've driven just stretches of it where I'm like, who on earth designed this thing? <laughs> so I ended up doing a lot of research. And I thought that from Cheyenne to Laramie, the summit was bad. But between Laramie to Walcott Junction or Elk Mountain, it's, it's crazy. It's like <laughs> widely regarded as one of the most dangerous highways in the whole entire U.S., yeah, I had read that too. After we moved up here, I read that too, Ken, that that stretch was one of the most dangerous parts. And the crazy thing is, is it's one of the most trafficked highways for semis too, because I-80 is such a big transport highway. It's like, it doesn't make sense to have that dangerous of a highway have so many trucks on. Precisely. And the urban legends and myths behind why it didn't follow the route of US Highway 30 which would have extended it by 19 miles are so like enriching. One is that Lady Bird Johnson, who is in charge of the Highway Beautification Act. She thought that the view wasn't pretty enough, but that's a complete myth because she didn't have like any say over like where the road itself would be built. Another is that like uh, small town politics and they didn't want like uh, I-80 going through certain towns. But there's a book that I actually bought on Amazon. It's called Snow Chi Minh Trail. <laughs> which is like all about like the history of I-80 from Walcott Junction. So I got really into that niche topic and I'm glad I did a little bit more research behind it for sure. Sorry for that long-winded answer. It's really excited to share that. Creative title for the book as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Hugh, how did your week fare? You were coming back from Jackson, right? Correct. Yeah. I, I also had to brave I-80. We were originally planning to head back on Sunday and then, became impossible. I had the privilege of visiting my sister. I was working in Jackson at Snow King Resort this winter and was able to get some nice family time during this pandemic. My dad also came out here and his his two brothers. So it was a great time and a great way to see a new part of the state that I hadn't been to. Extremely beautiful out there. And uh, yeah, it was a little ironic that I got trapped in Jackson because of the snow in Cheyenne, but I guess that's just Wyoming for you. And yeah, I definitely experienced that uh, heavy 18-wheeler traffic. They were also all keyed up and ready for the highway to open. So <laughs> they were, I actually saw, because I-80 goes right by the train tracks, that some tractor trailers were loaded onto like train cars which I had never seen before and was uh, kind of crazy. But I guess if the train tracks are open and the highways are closed, that's, that's what they got to do to get their FedEx and uh, UPS going. Yeah, Dan, how did you fare in the snowstorm? Well, luckily I didn't have to travel. So my adventure was just getting out of the back door and around to the front door, which involved <laughs> squeezing. Sucking in my belly and squeezing through the screen door and then uh, digging my way out, scaling the fence because I couldn't get the gate open. 
and then digging the front door out so we could get out that way and then shoveling the sidewalks and stuff. So it was an adventure, but not as much as travel. So it was good. And uh, ending the week on a good note. So Habitat was donated a 2006 Jetta earlier this year, and we're trying to sell it to use funds for our veterans build. And just right before our podcast started recording, we sold it. So good to get that off our hands and put that money towards our veterans build. So ending the week on a good note. Oh, Ken, I I also wanted to mention, I see you're wearing the Wyoming Wears Teal shirt. We had Mm -hmm. mentioned that on our podcast episode the other week with Safe House Services. Yeah, I I think that Wyoming Coalition Against Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault are selling t-shirts to the public, that that could be viewed on their website. They are teal t-shirts with a bison in the middle with a teal ribbon across it. And... They read Wyoming Wears Teal, Sexual Assault Awareness Month, April 2021. They are so comfortable. I would really recommend getting one to support a good cause and share it on social media to create awareness for that. We'll include that in the link to the podcast. Certainly. I'm excited today to introduce today's guest, Rachel Martinez. Rachel is a major force in the Cheyenne nonprofit community. She is currently the executive director of Family Promise, an organization dedicated to providing shelter to families and transitioning them out of homelessness. We previously referenced Family Promise on the podcast for their involvement with the Fresh Start Fund, and we at Habitat are immensely grateful for our closer relationship with such a great organization. Thanks in no small part to Rachel, as she also serves as the vice president on our board of directors. She holds a master's in public administration from the University of Wyoming, and also has an extensive background in the education sector. Rachel, thank you for being here and welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. This is a wonderful opportunity and and thank you to you guys for doing this podcast. I think that's such a wonderful thing to have in our community. And I'm, I'm a big fan of podcasts, so I'm excited to be on one and especially yours today. Thank you for having me. We appreciate that, Rachel. So you grew up in Cheyenne, correct? Yes. So I was born in Laramie, Wyoming, but I moved over here when I was just little. And um, yeah, grew up grew up in, in Cheyenne. So it's home to me. I Then I moved back to Laramie and lived in Laramie. I went to school there and, and stayed there. And so Laramie and Cheyenne, those are my stomping grounds. Well, makes you the perfect guest for our show, Building Better Cheyenne. Really quick, how does this past week's blizzard compare to some of the ones you may have experienced growing up in the area? Oh my goodness, it's, you know, we're used to snow, but this this definitely was too much all at once. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I've traveled around the state in all kinds of weather conditions. You guys mentioned Elk Mountain. I've, I've been on that road too many times when I shouldn't have been. <laughs> <laughs> I remember traveling just um, two Decembers before I was traveling there trying to get to Rollins in December. And I'm very persistent when it comes to making it to my destination, but I I had to turn around. And so I found a a way to turn around in the middle right there by Elk Mountain. And because I always know if I can just make it, you know, 10 miles down the road, it might be better. You just never know without one stretch, you might just have really horrible conditions and then 10 miles down the road, it's fine. 
but I couldn't do it. So when I turned around, there had actually, in between the time I turned around, there was a semi that had overturned. And so, yeah, it can get crazy, but I'm a, I'm a Wyomingite, so I'm, I'm resilient that way. And also, I just love the scenery of Wyoming. So when you can get safely to your destination and enjoy the view on the way, that's always a bonus in Wyoming for sure. So this, this one was, was a tough one for us. And I, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's, it's uh, record-breaking and, and I can feel it in my arms and my back from shoveling. And I didn't even shovel as much as my husband did in the last few days. So it was a big one. Shoveling snow this week was probably the best workout I've had since the pandemic started, you know, since I stopped going to the Y. Yep. <laughs> when I got back to Cheyenne yesterday, I had to shovel out a spot for my Subaru and I had a pretty good method about it. And it, it took like an hour and a half, but went to get my car that was in the public lot and bring it around on Lincoln way to park in somebody in that like span of two minutes went in to park in the spot. And like, I, I had to like call myself. I'm like, just approach them kindly. I'm like, assume goodwill. And I'm like, Hey, I, I kind of did just shovel that out for two hours. Like, I hate to be that guy, but we'd be all right if I parked here. And they were really cool about it. So there's that Wyoming spirit of generosity on display. But uh, I almost lost it for a second. <laughs> Rachel, how does a snowstorm like this affect your operations at Family Promise? And what can the average person do to support the organization and the homeless community at large during times like this? Yeah, it was interesting because we have had to change some of our operations in regards to the pandemic. So one of the things that Family Promise does is is house homeless families. And we use congregations and faith communities to do that on a rotational basis. Well, when the pandemic hit and and the churches shut down, we were still having to find a place, a safe place for families. So we utilized motels and putting the families in there long-term, which is less than ideal, of course, especially with bigger families. And then recently, around November and then early this year, we were able to lease a couple of separate properties, homes where we now have our families. But we got a call from one of the families that they were smelling gas. So, of course, that's an emergent situation. So I had heard on Facebook that some people were dealing with the carbon monoxide because of the covered vents, because the snow was just overwhelming. And so I said, okay, maybe there's a covered vent, but that's a learning thing for us that if you don't know where it is, or you've never had to check one of those before. So thankfully, Black Hills Energy was able to get out and mitigate the situation. And of course, find that it was a covered vent and we were able to minimize the displacement of that family. They were able to fix it, get the heat back up. But yeah, and then it also impacted one of the other things that we do is we provide the meals to our families that we're housing. And we use an amazing group of coordinators from the different faith communities. Thankfully, we had some planning in place to say, listen, meals aren't going to be able to be delivered. We don't expect anybody to to try to get out there in the roads. And and so they were able to stock up to, to make sure that they were going to have plenty to eat during this time. So, you know, we were lucky and just have such an amazing group of volunteers. We come together, help each other out. And so 
but no, we were, we were, we were excited to know that our, our families persisted through this time and, and they're resilient and, and able to draw on their skill set to stay safe during this time in, in a temporary housing location. So definitely no complaints here about how that was handled. I remember waiting in the fall for kind of like snow and precipitation to start landing just because of how fiery and hellish the landscape was with all the regional fires going on. But um, it's, it's my understanding you became executive director of Family Promise in fall 2020 in kind of the midst of the pandemic. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. It was a little rough. <laughs> not in the sense that uh, working for Family Promise was rough. Family Promise is, is great. We're celebrating 20 years of being in Cheyenne this year. And so the work that Family Promise and the, and the evolution that Family Promise has taken is, has been really wonderful to see it grow. And, and unfortunately, you would hope that fa- there isn't a need for a family promise, but there is. And the pandemic really highlighted that we still have even more of an urgent need to address affordable housing and, and homelessness. So, you know, it, it definitely was very, it was, there was a lot to do and a lot to learn in a small amount of time. And the previous past director, she had been director for for oh, many years, over, I think around eight years, and the current staff and the board and coordinators, they're all amazing and do equally amazing work. So we know, though, that in October, November, that's really when COVID hit hard in Laramie County. And we saw all-time high numbers for families outreaching, families impacted immensely, evictions were just through the roof. Our call volume was so high. It was just, how do we we manage an organization that has typically has very low overhead because we use the congregations, we use volunteer support, and now we're hit with the bills of, of housing three families in a hotel. We're hit with extra calls for rental assistance, utilities, deposits, just food. You know, we do a lot of referrals to the places that can provide the food. Just you name it, we were getting those calls. And so it was all hands on deck. Now it's myself as the director and then an amazing case manager, Morgan. And so we we were on 24-7, it seemed like. So Learning the job, meeting that demand. Yeah, I learned learned pretty quick, especially what what I couldn't do or what no what not to do. So, you know, but I, I've worked with many nonprofits. That's kind of been my niche. And so we know that a lot of nonprofits, there's not a dedicated HR department or a formal training program. So I can bring a lot of my skill set over. And I don't know if you guys know, but Family Promise is an affiliate of a national Family Promise organization. So this was started, I believe, on the East Coast uh, a couple decades ago where there was a need and the congregation model was started. And then somebody back in the day brought it to Cheyenne. And I'm glad they did. So we get a lot of support from our regional director as well as the national and just amazing partner organizations. So it was, it was fun. It was a lot of hard work, but it was also just a time to really say, okay, this is, this is what needs to be done. And, and learning on the job was what I was able to do. 
Absolutely. The only way to do it. And reading on Family Promises website about the congregational model and how it like rotates to like one stay every 11 weeks. I was really impressed with that. And so much of the services you provide are in person. I'm wondering like what protocols were introduced to keep clients safe and kind of looking broadly, how does the pandemic most disproportionately affect families and individuals experiencing homelessness? Can you write on with that, that there had to be protocols that were they're quickly put into place and, and quickly identified and created? One of the things when families need housing, you're just thinking of those, those basic needs, right? So roof over your head, you have food to eat, and do you have safety? So, of course, we focused on those immediate needs. And then some of the hotels... A lot of the hotels have just been rock stars through this pandemic. So it was developing those relationships with some of the hotels who really, they were not given enough credit, I don't think, through through this time of, okay, you know, can we work with you to to house a a family long-term? And then some of our families, they themselves got COVID and then they had to isolate. So we were finding out that we were doing a lot of virtual check-ins and case management and calls. And that's less than ideal as well as if the families don't have access to technology. So we were on first name basis with a lot of the hotel staff and <laughs> managers to, to say, hey, we need to check in on these families and um, we're going to be paying for their stay. And then there's all of these also rules and things that have to come into place to keep everybody safe. And it was definitely one of those things where we just had to, had to create that. We, we created a set of, of rules and, and, and guidelines, but also we really want to be open, right? We don't want to just tell families, you can't do this, you can't do that, but how do we still help them to get services for for finding a job or transportation. We have a family promise van that we can transport, but during COVID, that also stops and we have restrictions on what we can do. So how do we transport a family to the hospital? We had a family member that took an ambulance there because she's having a hard time breathing. They said, okay, bye. And they released her. And then how do we get her back? So there was definitely times that that I saw that gap of services and really what we are good at in Cheyenne is about, okay, this is where we really have a gap. What can we do to, to meet that need and do a better job next time? So we kind of on the fly created policies and procedures and, and we still are trying to figure those out. (laughs) Yeah. So, and and you know, if it's hard enough for a family trying to figure this out and a family that is, does not have a house or a place to stay long-term housing, then they definitely are impacted in in a much more negative way. From your response there, I'm just very impressed and intrigued with how the hotel stepped up in that manner. And I think you're dead on. Like that has not been highlighted much in the news, at least that I've been reading. And it's just awesome to hear that in the Cheyenne community, they are such a present 
partner, just off the top of my mind, Rachel, and to wrap up this section, obviously when a pandemic occurs, such an emphasis is then your own personal health, that of your like loved ones and families. But you in your position, you're looking out for the well-being of countless others. How do you how do you juggle that and make sure that you are having that space where you're considering your own needs and then contrasting it to the needs of the populations experiencing homelessness in Cheyenne? Right. So you're absolutely right. That was a big concern. When I was looking at this position, I had a wonderful position at Cheyenne Regional Medical Center and working with access to health insurance. And and so I really enjoyed that work. I had talked to my supervisor when this position came open and and really said, man, I, I really like my job, but I, I really feel called to, to get back into nonprofit work. And she was very supportive. So that was a positive thing. So coming from the hospital that had standard protocols, check-in places to coming to work with a nonprofit that was kind of more open and you, you can't shut down, you have to be available to families. That was different. But fortunately, we have a wonderful partner church where our offices are located. We're located in, downstairs at Grace United Methodist Church. And so they already had some protocols in place that we were able to adapt to. So we created application that families could fill out online instead of having to come in in person. And then we would say, okay, give us a call when you get here. We'll meet you up in the parking lot, get the forms filled out get everything taken care of, which was a lot more work, but at the same time, the work needed to continue. So I started in October and then in November, I got COVID. And I actually was very asymptomatic. So I didn't think that I I had it. I knew I was sick and I knew I, I was feeling different than I really have ever felt. So when I got tested, I and and because a couple of our families had that I had been in contact with, even with masks, I just got it. And that's okay because I think that just taught me that okay, it's you gotta just get through it. So I was able to thankfully isolate for a couple of weeks work to have the technology, have the ability to just work from home. And that put a lot on the case manager during that time. But it was something I think that all of us in Cheyenne were kind of dealing with at that time. You know, <laughs> the numbers were so high. So, and, and since I was asymptomatic, the importance of wearing masks, it was just highlighted because I don't know how long I was walking around, going to grocery stores or the gas station to just, you know, shedding the virus. So I, I was happy that our affiliate, we were really big on the masks and just staying safe and having those main isolation procedures in place. So that really helped us. But it was, um, we had to modify a lot of what we did and that impacted the work that we did. So that was was a a change I think that all of us were trying to figure out in the nonprofit community and those frontline jobs, you know, needs and Salvation Army and Department of Family Services, all with the school district, we were all in it together. So that also helped us, I think, with just everyone having the conversations and not being angry or negative about it because we were kind of all in the same boat trying to figure things out. So that was, that was helpful too, knowing that 
we weren't the only ones trying to figure this out and we can we could look to other organizations for support. You know, when the Kamiya shelter had their big shutdown and impact, that was tough on all of us. So we constantly called each other, checked in with each other. How can we help each other? That's what I really love about the Cheyenne nonprofit community is we're there for each other when we need it. Well said. And I'm, I'm relieved to hear that your time with COVID was rather benign and that you had um team at your disposal to step out and help you out while working virtually. Yes. Yes. So I wanted to shift gears and, and talk about another part of the mission of Family Promise, which is not only to shelter families, but also to help them get back on their feet. And I know during these housing talks, we often talk about the continuum of care that goes on. What do your programs look like that help families permanently escape homelessness? Sure. So I mentioned that we do house three to five families at any given time long-term. It's one of our main programs, but shelter diversion supports families to avoid entering shelter and work towards long-term housing. So we know that if we can keep a family housed, that's going to be a win-win situation all around. Because once a family has to enter shelter, and sometimes there isn't a shelter space for them to enter, right? We have limited shelter spaces, even with the creation of the Journey Center at Kamiya Shelter Their Family Center and Family Promise of Cheyenne. That's it. There's really, I mean, you have other organizations that have some long-term housing, like the Safe House and Accompanied Students, but those are for specific populations. So we're seeing families that have been in Cheyenne a long time that are now maybe families that never had to worry about this type of thing. Now with COVID, they are. So the shelter diversion programming that we do is also critical. And that's rent support, deposits, utility support. Sometimes it's helping families with getting a set of tires on their car so that they can go back and forth to work. So shelter diversion is also a big part of what Family Promise does and that rapid rehousing and just network that we help a family create to be able to to keep their their housing or to find affordable housing. That's that's a big part of what we do. The low-income apartment community is a cornerstone of who we work with and And so that's another part of what Family Promise does rather than just provide that transitional housing. And like you said, it is creating that pipeline of services. In speaking of services for homelessness and, and the state of things, not just necessarily here, but across the state of Wyoming, in 2019, Marbit Consulting conducted a statewide needs assessment for homelessness in Wyoming. Could you talk about some of the findings from that report and the continuing work to both treat and eliminate homelessness in the state? I know you've mentioned a little bit about what you yourself and your organization are doing with the diversion programs, but is there anything else out there? Yeah, absolutely. So the Marbit report that that has become somewhat of a blueprint for those of us working in, in this area to assess what we're doing well and to shore up some of the gaps. And the Marbit report took a look at, at our local efforts and really gave us some concrete steps to take. So we know that addressing homelessness is a community-wide effort, and we have to be open to working together, breaking down some of our silos, 
And sometimes this means being vulnerable and honest as an organization to what isn't working well and to be open to that constructive criticism that I think the Marbet report brought in. The assessment brought forward those gaps as well as best practices so we can begin to implement some of those in this ever-changing landscape. And one of my big takeaways from the report was how we address family homelessness. I'm glad that that was was addressed in there. It's one thing to experience homelessness as a single person. That's a whole nother podcast, right? For another time. But the way we serve families is going to look different from the infrastructure to, you know, how we provide programming to transitional living spaces and how we provide support to single moms or, or dual working families. And that structure with kids in school and and meeting their basic needs so they can become resilient and and grow up with those skills is what I really took away from that Marbet report. We do know that more awareness is needed as well and what we can do better as a community. So I think that's absolutely the Marbet report gave us that data and talking points to move forward. Absolutely. You mentioned how Homelessness among individuals differs from homelessness with families and how that can be a whole issue in and of itself. And I know you have an extensive background in education. You served as a consultant for Strong Families, Strong Wyoming. You also worked with TRIO at Laramie County Community College to help first-generation low-income and students with disabilities achieve their educational goals and You're also the board president of the Hispanic Organization for Progress and Education. And we recently spoke on this podcast with Michelle Sullivan of the Wyoming After School Alliance about the state of education in Wyoming. But I was wondering if you could go into more detail about the impact of homelessness on a child's development and education. Yeah, absolutely. Educational access is is I believe a great equalizer, right? So it's critical that this is one of the first things we address when working with families in transition. And and I should note that the family promise is, you know, to serve the youth and their families. So it can be frustrating if if you call us up and and say, hey, I'm, I, I need help. Recently got a call from a, uh, an individual. He didn't have minor children in his household but he was looking for resources, right, to to keep from being evicted. And and although we can't officially serve him, we definitely are going to provide those resources and and try to figure out where he might be able to turn to. So working with the families in transition and making sure that we're there for the youth and their families is kind of the, just what we do. And we work closely with the school district liaison, Denise. She's she's great connecting the kids to their schools. Any you guys know, any transition that you would have had to make was was tough, right? When you're growing up, you want to be with your friends, you want to stay in the same school. You don't want to tell people that you're that you don't have a place to live. Maybe you spent some nights in the car, even. So that's tough. So we know that the the educational needs of, of the family, also the mental health needs, all of that, we try to get addressed. And just to make sure that, that our families are so resilient. And, and if we can help 
during this time of transition to, to grow their support network, then that's only going to be a positive thing. And those non-cognitive factors of, of life that we know impact the learning in, in the classroom, right? So as I mentioned, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if your basic needs aren't getting met, how can then you expect to excel in school and do some of those things? So that's really what we want to concentrate on too, is making sure that not only are the basic needs met, but they're also going to have a full set of opportunities and skills just like anybody else through their time of transition to affordable housing. And I know that in my past work with HOPE and our scholarship program, and then just all all the work that I've done with the schools and with first-generation students, we know that growing leaders and good citizens will only benefit all of us in the future, and, and they shouldn't be treated any different because of their housing situation. Couldn't agree with you any more on all that. And that's going to tie really seamlessly into our podcast with Unaccompanied Students Initiative on the impact of homelessness on high school students. Absolutely. Rachel, you've been a wonderful guest today. We like to wrap up every podcast we record with a more lighthearted question that differentiates itself from otherwise serious topics. So I want to know, as spring starts, what is something that you most treasure about the season, whether it's from like childhood or, or adulthood? Well, you know, I do have some pretty thick winter skin just being from Wyoming. <laughs> my grandson recently turned to my first grandbaby and just to see him acknowledge the snow and play in the snow. It, it's so great. He's coming over this weekend and we're going to build a snow fort, maybe go go sledding on a small hill if we can find one. There's, there's probably one right outside in my front yard because of all the shoveling <laughs> snow that we have. But um, so seeing things through his eyes just really fills up my heart. And I grew up doing all of this winter stuff, skiing, sledding, snowmobiling. And, and that's probably why I have horrible knees. I can't do as much of that as, as I used to. But, you know, we always, we just love the outdoors here. And I think all of us, we know, we say, oh, well, yeah, we're getting snow, but we need the moisture, right? <laughs> it's just one of those things, well, we need the moisture. And it's true. So we need to have a, a good winter so that we can enjoy the stuff of summer, like the fishing and the camping with full rivers. So I just, I have always enjoyed getting, enjoyed winters in Wyoming, not only just getting through them, <laughs> But, but uh, just the landscape of, of the wonderful winter that we have the ability to enjoy in Wyoming. So definitely, definitely a good thing that we have snow. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't in winter, but October or early November. But Hugh was generous to go out to Walmart or whatever store and buy us two sleds for our like Vista cohort. And I was foolish and jumping on my knees to try to get as much acceleration down the hill as possible. I could walk the next week. Yeah. Those bruises just developed so quickly. Yeah. My my husband once upon a time got a concussion. Oh, no. <laughs> Sledding. And so, you know, we probably should should always wear, wear helmets. <laughs> <laughs> when we do some of these things, right? It's just... When it gets to a certain slope. Probably move. 
Yeah, put on your helmet. It's <laughs> <laughs> a safe one. <laughs> if there's one takeaway from today, audience, that's what you need to know. Just wear a helmet. <laughs> wear a helmet when sliding. You'll be all right. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This was a wonderful way to highlight the work of Family Promise and just really appreciate you guys having me on. For sure. Any last word or anything you'd like to put out there, whether it's where people can find Family Promise on social media or your website? Sure. So our Facebook is the most updated, our Family Promise of Cheyenne Facebook. And we will be, we were really not able to have a lot of our events last year because of the pandemic, but we're, we're hoping that we can reinstate some of those this year. So Facebook is always the best way to find out what we're doing and, and where we're going to be. And that's also how, if people want to volunteer or they want to donate, definitely have the ability to do that through our, our websites as well as on Facebook. So we, we always appreciate it. And, and if people are affiliated with, with a faith community, most likely there already is a coordinator in that faith community that is connected to Family Promise, so they can always reach out to to see. And, and if not, we're always open to, of course, inviting new faith communities in to support us in various ways, whether it's with meals, volunteering, hosting, once we get back to the overnight stays in, in the faith communities. So but yeah, we're, we're just always open to, to anybody that would like to, to reach out and, and help us out. And one particular donation effort that I really like of Family Promises is their 180 campaign or the notion of like, if you give like 50 cents a day for like 360, 365 days, you're turning a life around potentially 180 degrees. And it's just such a nice notion of like the accumulating compound impact of if you just give like two quarters a day. Yes. And we, we are a hundred percent, you know, grant funded and donation funded. So, so we, we just couldn't do it without the amazing donors of Cheyenne. And we have some great donors who consistently give. And then the, the $5 donors are also equally amazing because like that all adds up and it all goes to, to support the, the families in some form or fashion and those individual donations are also so important because we have received some CARES funding that is COVID related, but we also have families that through this time aren't directly related by COVID and they can't get any of those funds. So those individual donations really help us to make those discretionary decisions to be able to help as many families as we can, impacted by COVID or not. That's a, that's a great cause to donate to. Thank you, Rachel, and um, to our audience, go out there and make the magic happen in Cheyenne and your greater community. Thanks for tuning in.